Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. This week, we're discussing a deal that certainly got people talking. On March 10 this year, Iran and Saudi Arabia reached an agreement to restore diplomatic relations after a break of seven years. So what are the implications? Who was involved? And what does it mean for the rest of the world? Keith's here to break it all down with us. Hi, Keith. G'day. Can you give us a bit of a backstory on these two countries? Yeah, so Iran and Saudi Arabia see themselves as two leaders of the global Islamic community. So the majority of Muslims in the world are Sunni, and Saudi Arabia sees itself as the leader of the Sunni community and has within its borders two of the three most important Islamic shrines, if you like. So that's Saudi Arabia's role. Iran, which is not an Arab country, it's Persian, Iran sees itself as the leader of the Shia community. That's a minority part of the Islamic world. It's worth bearing in mind, by the way, just for the record, that most of the Muslims in the world are no longer Arab. Now, we think of Islam as being an Arabic. And, yeah. You know, the language of Islam is classical Arabic, which even Arab speakers have difficulty getting their head around. <laughs> it's a bit like an English person trying to read Canterbury Tales, if you ever did that <laughs> at school. I did. I did do Chaucer. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was so difficult. <laughs> it is so difficult. That's right. And that helps to explain some of the, the theological differences within Islam because they're trying to make sense of a very old version, a high classical version of Arabic to try to make sense in today's world. So you've got these two countries that have obviously a different standing within the Islamic world. That's the first problem. And the second problem is they're both very powerful countries in the Middle East with very different histories. And the eastern side of Saudi Arabia is where you get a number of Shia. So remember, Shia are mainly from Iran and then have spread out. So you have Shia down the eastern side of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia executed one of the Shia leaders in Saudi Arabia, and that then set up this dispute. But the dispute has been simmering for years, if not decades, if not centuries, Mm -hmm. uh, within the Islamic faith. And so you have these periods when Sunni and Shia are working together, other occasions when um, they're fighting. For me, what is amazing about this story is that China has brokered the deal Mm. in March of this year. China brought together major figures from Saudi Arabia and Iran. Traditionally, that would have been a role performed by the Americans, but the Americans are trying to get out of the Middle East. They're trying to get away from the war on terror and all the rest of them because, as you know, they're bogged down in Ukraine Mm. and may be getting ready for a war against China. So they're trying to get the Middle East off their to-do list. Mm -hmm. And China found this gap in the market, so to speak, and decided to come in and mediate between those two countries. Now, some of the material I've read suggests that the Israelis were monitoring what was going on. The Israelis are very good at intelligence gathering, and some of the American intelligence agencies may also have picked up hints about what the Chinese were getting up to. But certainly, when the deal was first announced, most of us simply didn't see it coming. 
So China really has pulled a rabbit out of the hat. And for me, what is fascinating is what this says about China's role in the world. So China, in effect, is saying the Americans are creating a vacuum. They're pulling out of certain areas. This gives us an opportunity to come in. And perhaps it's part of this wider initiative by China. Another part of the agenda is getting rid of the American dollar as the basis of international commercial transactions. Because in the Middle East, the price of oil, denominated largely in US dollars, mm. is China getting ready to say to the Arab oil exporting countries, perhaps even eventually Iran, let's quote all the prices in Chinese yuan rather than American dollars. So mm. we're seeing a bit of a, a shift here. Remember, we, over the time of doing this program, we've looked at the growing significance of China yes. in international politics. And what we've seen in the last few weeks has been this giant leap forward by China in the Middle East. Is it surprising to see China playing peacemaker in this way? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because China traditionally doesn't like getting involved in international affairs. They prefer to abstain on issues. They're always worried about creating international precedents that would then be used against China. For example, one of their policies is non-intervention. Mm. Now, since 1945, the creation of the UN Charter, we've had an idea that we should intervene. If you cast your mind back to the period 1933 to 1939, when Hitler was creating violations of human rights against the Jews, the Western world refused to get involved. They were following a, a principle of non-intervention. And at the war crimes trials after 1945, no German was found guilty of any offence committed between 1933 when Hitler came to power and September 1939 when World War II began. And then after World War II begins, then you get all the war crimes, etc., being listed. So the Western countries have tried to move on from that policy mm. of non-intervention and see themselves as having responsibilities for trying to protect human rights. Yeah. The Chinese are saying, no, we don't go along with any of that. We prefer non-intervention. Mm -hmm. Now, what they're saying is that we don't want to interfere in other people's affairs, but by the same token, we don't want you people discussing what we're doing in Tibet yeah. or Xinjiang, mm -hmm. what we're doing with the Uyghurs, etc. Mm. So that, that's the Chinese policy is actually to keep this very low profile. The Chinese will say, we're here for trade. We're happy to talk to you about trade. We're not going to get involved in high politics or anything like that. And here what they are, they are involved in high politics. What benefit does the Middle East gain, if any, from having China involved? I think the benefit is that it reduces the level of violence between Saudi Arabia and Iran. They tend to fight each other in somebody else's country, most obviously at the moment, the tragedy in Yemen. Mm. Saudi Arabia and Iran are fighting each other in Yemen, causing huge amount of suffering and also issues perhaps with, with Syria as well. Because you've got Sunni and Shia scattered throughout the Middle East, you end up with Iran generally supporting Shia groups and Saudi Arabia supporting the majority Sunni. And so they, they tend to fight each other in other people's territories. So theoretically, this should make for a more peaceful Middle East. And we're seeing that a bit in Yemen when there are now apparently peace talks underway. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see if it works out in terms of um, making for a more peaceful situation 
in the Middle East, obviously they have suffered so much mm. over the decades. Yeah. And I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit before, but what does China gain specifically from having its foot in the Middle East? I think it, a number of things. One, obviously, is a way of saying we're now replacing the Americans. So we are now beginning to talk about a post-American international order. So America has dominated global politics since World War II, and so there is this question, are we coming to the end of that era? And linked to that, of course, when Donald Trump was president, the Americans were happy to pull out of a lot of these international obligations, which was then also begin to create that vacuum for China. So I think the headline issue would be China is now beginning to replace the United States we're moving into a post-American international order, which has implications for Australia since we have decided to back the United States mm-hmm. in the dispute with China. Mm. Uh, so are we backing a loser here? So that, that's a bit of a question mark I'll leave in the air. And the other thing, which is a problem we never had during the original Cold War between the US and Soviet Union, was that China derives a lot of oil from the Middle East. So it needs to have stability in the Middle East. It needs to have seaways that are not being damaged by people conducting attacks on oil tankers, etc. And so China is saying, because we rely so much on international trade and we also rely on foreign energy, therefore we need to protect what's going on in the Middle East. Now, in America, for good or ill, the shale revolution is getting underway. So America used to be a major exporter of oil, and that includes petrol and all the rest of it. It used to be a major exporter. Then it became a major importer because its own conventional supplies of oil had run down. And then in the last decade or so, the United States is back being a major exporter of energy. Now, of course, there's this big debate about this revolution in fracking and what it's doing to underground water supplies and all the rest of it. You might be able to get energy, but you might be damaging your own water. But but the Americans are no longer that worried. In fact, the Americans are building up more connections with West Africa, in places like Nigeria. So they're getting their oil increasingly from Africa. They don't need to be so fussed about what goes on in the Middle East. The American involvement in the Middle East really begins in 1945, Prior to that time, well, if you go back to the 19th century and before that area was controlled by the Ottoman Empire, which is today's Turkey, uh, or the remnant of it is today's Turkey. And then after World War I, because the Ottomans supported the enemy states of Germany and Austria, the British defeated Germany and Austria and Turkey, and that gave them a window of opportunity to take over the Middle East, and they divided the Middle East between them. Mm. So the French got Syria, the British, you know, got areas to the south, including the Holy Land. And America wasn't involved in any of that. They had a few Christian missionaries, etc., but they weren't a major player. The big turning point comes in 1945 in a meeting which the American president, who was about to die, had with the then leader of Saudi Arabia. So he was flying back from the United States or sailing back from the post-war negotiations in Europe, travelling back to the United States, but actually went via the Suez Canal and the Bitter Lake. And therefore, in this unpublicised, not completely secret, but not publicised event, met with the leader of Saudi Arabia and said to the leader, we will protect you if you supply us with oil. Mm. And it was that meeting 
with President Roosevelt. As I, as I say, this is one of his last substantive activities. He gets back to the United States and then dies, mm. right? So it was a crucial meeting because that then represents the beginning, big time, of America's involvement and gradually easing out the British and the French. And so the Americans were able then to establish their dominance in the Middle East and remained on good terms. It was a very skillful diplomatic activity. At one point, they had a government in Iran that was hostile to American interests, so they removed that government, the Muzadek government Mm. in Iran, and also remains on good terms with Saudi Arabia, and, of course, as an ally of Israel. So it's a very skillful balancing act that the Americans have been able to create for themselves. But I think there are a number of Americans at home who are saying, look, we're sick of all this being bogged out of the Middle East. Yeah. You know, we've done badly in Afghanistan and Iraq, etc. So let's pull out. And then, as I say, they were clearing the decks ready for China. Mm. And then we get February the 24th last year and suddenly we're focusing back on, on Russia. But the Americans are just wanting to lower their involvement in the Middle East. You are listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter and this week we're discussing the implications of a new diplomatic deal with old enemies Iran and Saudi Arabia. I wanted to ask you, and you were just talking about America's influence in the region, you know, while they are trying to pull out, do you think they're going to be happy that China's stepped in to to (laughs) take up the mantle? That's a very good question (laughs) and that's really what's giving the American diplomats indigestion I think at the moment because of the swiftness with which the Chinese have sailed in to take on these responsibilities. Mm. Now, of course, Americans would say, well, you're taking on a headache here, guys, in the same way the British would have said that to the Americans <laughs> or the French could have said that to the Americans. It all goes around. It all goes around, that's <laughs> right. But at the moment, China's on this upswing and feels that it can carry out good roles for itself and other countries in the Middle East and provide an alternative viewpoint it's able to say, well, if the Americans get involved, people get killed. Whereas when we Chinese get involved, we bring people together. Sure. So it's very good for their international image. Yeah. And as I say, there are a lot of people who would say, well, well done for China for pulling this off. Yeah. Do you anticipate them to keep trying to extend this influence in the region or in other regions around the world? Oh, I think it's inevitable. Yeah. Because they're on a bit of a roll. And it's interesting that the Chinese leader, President Xi, has put forward a document for negotiating peace between Russia and Ukraine. It's not a particularly good document, I've got to say, but at least he's seen as this intermediary. And from China's point of view, it's a smart move because China is conscious that it has an ally in Russia. It's a desperate ally. Russia is very vulnerable at the moment. So China is picking up Russian energy at bargain basement prices because they can't sell their energy to the West. And so China is able to say, well, we're just simply a a mediator. Mm -hmm. They avoid using the harsh language which you see with the Americans. They accept that this is a special military operation. It's not a war. Mm. The rest of us are calling it a war. So they're being very diplomatic in their use of language. And they're towing a a diplomatic tightrope because they don't annoy the Europeans. China's great fear, which the old Soviet Union never had during the Cold War, China's great fear is it has an economy based on foreign trade. So when the Soviet Union was running in the original Cold War, it was an autarkic economy. In other words, it had a very, very small reliance on overseas trade. 
Everything was produced and consumed at home. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Chinese economic model is the reverse of all of that. It's to produce stuff that you can sell overseas. And so the great fear of China is that it will become the subject of international sanctions, which is why they're playing this very cute double game. So they're keeping the door open to Russia to acquire the energy and also to embarrass the Americans. But at the same time, they want to keep the door open to the Europeans. The European Union is still the world's largest trading bloc and they want to make sure they can continue with with Europe. So it's a very fine balancing act, Mm. which at the moment President Xi is pulling off. We see and have seen, obviously, over the last, you know, however many decades, instability and war in the Middle East. To your point earlier, talking about how, you know, the Americans come in and people die, and the idea is that China comes in and everyone's more prosperous. (laughs) Do we think that that will eventuate? Like, do you think this could be a step towards a more peaceful Middle East? Um, Well, if I were an optimist, I'd have to say yes, Mm -hmm. but I'm a bit of a pessimist when it comes to, (laughs) I'm afraid, Um, you know, people are always saying, will there ever be peace in the Middle East? I think there are just so many difficulties in terms of having peace in the Middle East. When people talk about will there be peace in the Middle East, that's usually coded for me, will there be peace between Israel and Palestine? Mm -hmm. Well, my view is that Israel and Palestine could fall off the map and you'd still have problems in the Middle East, yep. like these deep-seated theological differences mm. between the Sunni and the Shia, the political differences between Saudi Arabia and Iran. You've also got all of the issues of modernization, so that women want to have a say in how the country is being governed. We're seeing that in Iran. We also see it in Saudi Arabia. And the problem for the leader of Saudi Arabia is that deep down he may, I'm not sure that he does, but he may want to, accord greater status to women, but he's up against a very conservative religious bloc that will oppose that. Mm. So even domestically, there are all sorts of pressures. Similarly, of course, in Iran, one of the world's most common languages on the internet is Farsi. So the Iranians have got young people, very tech-savvy, who are able to talk to each other in their own language. And yet at the same time, the mullahs who run the country are very conservative, scared of change, scared of giving too much authority to women. So wherever you look in the Middle East, there are immense problems, not only between the, you know, the big theological differences, the big political differences, but even in terms of domestic politics. Mm. And the worry for China will be, to what extent do we want to get involved in all of this? You know, at the moment, we're the good guys. We've just pulled off this amazing diplomatic coup of getting... Saudi and Iranian diplomats together, fantastic achievement, but do we want to risk getting sucked into the domestic politics? You know, when you look at the Soviet Union's disastrous involvement in Afghanistan or the American involvement in yeah, Afghanistan well, that one or the American involvement in Vietnam, yeah. you know, there'd be a lot of Chinese people saying we need to move along cautiously mm. and don't try to throw our weight around because otherwise we'll be sucked into this quagmire, which is Middle East politics. Yeah, and judging by China's history, probably not something they'd know how to do very well anyway. (laughs) Thanks, Keith. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolich.